1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Dominic Booth, and I'm joined by our Chief United writer, Samuel Luckhurst, for today's podcast. Uh, good afternoon to you, Samuel.
0: Good afternoon, Dom. Thank you for having me
1: on again. It's a delight, delighted to have you on, as always, <laughs> Samuel. Um, <laughs> even though we haven't got a weekend fixture to talk about, which is a little bit strange, first time in what seems like forever that United have not had a game on a, a weekend or even on a Sunday, they always seem to play on Sundays. Obviously, there's that rather chaotic 4-2 defeat to Liverpool, which I guess we'll briefly touch upon, Samuel, before getting on to maybe more topical things because it was a few days ago, but uh, not the ideal week for United in terms of the fixture schedule and those two results probably showing that. Solskjaer had made some comments that he wasn't happy about the schedule, but not much that really could have been done after the protest, had the game called off, and United looked uh, way below where they needed to be against the Liverpool team who were well up for that game.
0: Yeah, I think it was pretty disappointing from United that they played as poorly as they did, given that I think all but Eric Bailly hadn't started in the previous game against Leicester. So those players had, what, four games between the Villa game and the Liverpool game. And I think coming away from it, the only respectable performer uh, was probably Aaron wan I thought he did OK by and large. Everyone else, just poor uh, some really poor contributions to the goals. Dean Henderson had a very unconvincing night, probably his poorest night yet for United. I think looking at it, you could probably say he was culpable for three of the four Liverpool goals, which is, is bad for any goalkeeper, whatever the level. Eric Bay didn't really do himself any favours ahead of possibly starting the Europa League final next week if Harry is not fit. And I just think those limitations that we've spoken about ad nauseum throughout the season were really laid bare against Liverpool in that Fred and McTominay is not a midfield that's going to get you anywhere near winning a title, which we all knew before that game, but the manner in which they were just bullied and outclassed by Fabinho and Thiago and Jorginho Wijnaldum was was pretty glaring, particularly also because McTominay and Fred don't normally lose big games. They've got a very good big game record dating back to the PSG game just over two years ago. But it's just strange to see how disjointed and subdued United were. There was a, there was a bit of a um, an uplift when Greenwood came on. He was never going to start that game because obviously he against Leicester and he did manage to jolt them, but then Matic gives the ball away and Liverpool break away and, and score far, far, far too easily. I've, I think I posted on Twitter the comparison of Salah's goals against Henderson this season up the scoreboard end. I think Henderson clearly tried to eliminate the dink on Thursday night. All he succeeds in doing was just leaving a massive gap for Salah to score with his signature finish so liverpool were worthy winners by far and away the better side maybe a bit of a reality check for united as well that despite what the table suggests they're not as close to to the summit as it looks
1: absolutely yeah and probably not a huge amount of difference between united and liverpool in terms of the standard of their of their teams although liverpool obviously had that big uh losing home run and united have been sensational away from home this season i guess the importance of Harry Maguire as well, Samuel highlighted hugely in that game. I suppose to a lesser extent in the Leicester game, although I guess that fringe team did respectably well there. But Maguire would be a huge loss for the Europa League final looking ahead. And I know that he maybe hasn't repaid the whole of that 80 million transfer fee United paid for him, but he is uh, he is fairly crucial to what they want to do.
0: Yes, I think Mark Critchley from the Independent actually summed up quite well, which is that. When Maguire plays, his limitations are quite obvious. When he doesn't play, Manchester United's, uh, you know, the, I suppose Maguire's strengths. They—they, uh, they, I've, I've really phrased that terribly, and he phrased it in a much better way on Twitter. But Essentially, he was saying that Maguire's limitations are obvious when he plays, but his strengths are clearer when he doesn't play. I think that's the way I should have phrased it then. Yeah, And it was completely true. In, in both games, really, against Leicester and against uh, Liverpool, Maguire is a very good passer of the ball. I remember when I watched him playing for Hull and even Leicester, and this was probably pre-World Cup fame for him, but he always struck me as like he had the build of a rugby player playing football, which is obviously not a very flattering thing to say, but then when he actually had the ball at his feet, he could show you that he could, very, very, he could play football and play it very well. He's also an organiser. He's a leader maybe it was a bit too quick giving him the United captaincy on a full-time basis, but I don't think many people quibble about that because he's shown that he's he's certainly earned it and he's merited it, particularly in a squad where there's not an obvious other option to to take on the captaincy on a full-time basis and when Lindelof has played in Maguire's absence this season which has been very rare he, he has sounded more vocal and he tried to be more vocal at the start of the game against Liverpool but he's just not it's not in his natural uh, instincts as a as a defender to to lead a back line and Dean Henson is very vocal but he's the keeper he's not the defender and there's only so much he can do and I think with Henson it's more it's more the personality thing it's it's his it's it's his confidence in general rather than his actual leadership credentials. Eric Bailly is not really a leader. I mean, he's, he's a personality, but you don't hear him say particularly much during games. And so when you've got Bailly and Lindelof together, I mean, th- there was a period, I think, in their first couple of years at United where they hardly ever played next to each other for various reasons. And I suspect they've probably... Barely broken, a dozen games starting together as a partnership. Even though Lindelof's been at United four years and Bi five years, because Baye's mainly been injured or certainly is is prone to injury, and that's why they needed Maguire to come in. And I think the evidence, uh, looking against in the Liverpool game, is that they, I mean, they're in the market for a centre half, and the evidence was pretty compelling that they they do need one. I don't think you can just dismiss the game, the Liverpool game, as an aberration in some ways it was that they did well not to actually go over um, the goals conceded from last season this season sooner because it looked like it was going to happen sooner that they'd have conceded more goals this season than last season but actually they they had a very good run in the Premier League of not conceding many goals at all but last week it just seemed like the the dam burst they were conceding goals from set pieces and Maguire has been culpable for that he's the infamous one probably being the Everton equaliser when he was playing everyone on side and I think it was was it What game was it last season? Southampton, I think, when they gave Maguire a goal in added time and Maguire went viral because he was marking Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So I think with those set pieces, it's it's irrespective of the personnel in goal or in defence. United are just bad at them. That's on the coaches. But it's pretty clear how much... Just just what a much more solid defensive unit they are with Maguire than without him. And I think he's had a pretty steady season. I think his first season was pretty steady as well. I don't think it's been, he's been spectacular in either campaign, but he did elicit improvement from United defensively last season. But now in his second season, it's pretty clear that although he's a pretty stable influence, they do need an upgrade next to him, even though Lindelof, probably up until the Villa game the other week, had had, had a pretty good couple of
1: months. Yeah, you mentioned it there. I was going to bring it up. The spine of the team that obviously needs addressing at some point whether we'll get such a an overhaul in the in the summer, in this summer of all summers, remains to be seen. We sort of think that United now maybe not uh, maybe won't go after a, a striker with Edison Cavani secured for another year, but then people talk about defensive midfield, talk about a centre back. That spine of Fred McTominay by Lindelof and Henderson in goal against Liverpool didn't look the strongest uh, foundation for United to be building from and and that's crucial no matter how much quality you have elsewhere in the side.
0: Yeah I completely agree they they need a centre-back and they need a midfielder in the summer I mean these things aren't done overnight as we know with United but you have to you have to be realistic with these with, with transfer negotiations and just the state of play with United's midfield they have effectively got on the books eight midfielders if you were to count I mean I know Fernandes plays as a playmaker but you know, putting the pedantry to one side, I think this time last year he'd have been bracketed with the five others as you know in that in that group of six midfielders. There, the others being obviously Pogba, Matic, Van der Beek, McTominay, and Fred. Now, okay, Pogba's been playing off the left recently, but nobody says he's a left winger. Everyone says he's a midfielder. Same with Van der Beek. He's not going to oust Fernandez as the playmaker. He's if he's to make his. If he's to make waves at United, it's going to have to be from midfield. And then you've got the two loanees in James Garner and Andreas Pereira. So you dread to think how much money their wages are combined. It's going to be well north of half a million, probably pushing a million. And okay, they do need a midfielder. But if you're going to finance that move, you're going to have to cut costs. You're going to have to get players off the books. Garner will probably go on loan again next year. I think he needs a Premier League loan next season. He's, He's had a very good campaign in the Championship. That's the next phase of his of his development. Obviously, Fred and McTominay aren't going to be sold. I don't think anyone's going to come in for Matic, and he's got two years left on his contract. Pogba is the clear issue there. Do they sell him this summer? Uh, is, is a team going to come in with an offer that United deem acceptable? Because there's still been no suggestion that, that, that Pogba's open to, to renewing his contract there. I think when... It's, it's pretty telling that when Pogba did that interview with Sky Sports last month following, uh, you know, and obviously that he made headlines because of what he said about Mourinho, but Sky didn't ask him about his future. And the reason is because it's off limits. And the reason why Pogba's not been given to us to speak to as, as you know, the written press in, I think it was probably the Juventus game in November 2018. That was the last time we had a chance to speak to him and The pre-match press conference is because we are going to ask him about his future and it's a topic that united don't really want to get into for obvious reasons but with raiola he's more direct and his agent has gone on record as saying that he, he wants to move him on he wants to move him on this summer i know he said that in december and an awful lot can change and pogba has been playing well of late but you still have to suspect that raiola will try and engineer a transfer for Pogba this summer because he tried in 2019 he probably tried last year, even though it was never going to happen in the pandemic. But that's a big issue there because that does dictate how influential a midfielder United go for. Because if you're taking Pogba out of that midfield, then you can't just say we need a defense United need a defensive midfielder. From their talking like from from their perspective, Declan Rice doesn't suffice because he's he's not as good a footballer as Paul Pogba. You're probably starting to look at do we need two midfielders now that is absolutely not going to happen particularly after they spent 40 million on van der Beek last summer because if you bring in another creative midfielder you are writing off van der Beek and they can't do that just yet as as dismal as he has been this season he's going to have to be given one more year to get up to speed and see whether he's got what it takes to to hack it at United I think the priority for now, presuming, assuming Pogba might stay, might be marooned at United, is that they do go for a defensive midfielder, but they still need to balance the books there because that department is bloated enough as it is. And that's that's the dosage of reality, really. You only have to look on the United website's list of first-team players that they've got up there, and it's 30 players plus, I think. It's about 33 players. So there's an awful lot of players that, that need to be let go, sold, loaned out if they're to finance moves for, for certain positions.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's the replacing Pogba, upgrading on and McTominay and what you do with Van der Beek as well. They're, they're all huge questions for United to answer and we spoke about the centre-back as well. Samuel, do you think that's a more likely position that United could strengthen this summer than, than maybe anywhere else? I know there's Jadon Sancho interest as well and, and a possibility of getting him finally uh, or a right-wing alternative but centre-back looks the most likely, would you say?
0: I would say so at this stage, definitely. With with Sancho, with Dortmund, they're they're in the Champions League next season now, which is absolutely huge for them because it just strengthens their bargaining position if a club should come calling for Sancho or Erling Haaland. Um from what Dortmund have said it's pretty clear that they would be open to selling Sancho this year. They were open to selling him last year but they knew that United were never going to meet that 100 million pound um asking price that they had for him. The difference this year is that Sancho, you know, wanted to leave last year, he wants to leave this year. Dortmund have had the highest average attendance in Europe for 5 years plus and they they probably do need to sell a big player, particularly if there's an enticing fee that comes along their way. If United are offering 60 million for Sancho, I think Dortmund would be mad to accept that. I don't think I don't think they want to undersell themselves in terms of these players that they've plucked from not obscurity, but they've certainly taken on rough diamonds and polished them into the most glistening, enticing diamonds that you could possibly want to buy. And with Haaland, the release clause is next year. Perversely, Dortmund might think that it makes more sense if someone offers 90 million for Haaland That you say yes to that because you're getting more money this year than you would get next year with the release clause. But they are in the Champions League and I don't think they, I I certainly can't see them selling Haaland and Sancho this year. And it's almost as if this year's Sancho is Haaland. Sancho was last year when they tried to keep him. They succeeded in doing that. And I suppose it reflects pretty badly on United that Dortmund, who... Almost always, you know, yield and sell players that they don't want to sell came up against United, and they did actually manage to keep hold of the player. But it was a very, very complex transfer window for United to negotiate in last year. And there, there are always two sides of the story. I mean, it's interesting that Celtskyar has still not said that Juan Mata is definitely leaving at the end of the season because he—it's—it's it's up to him to decide if he wants to stay for another year. Going off that, you'd think that Solskjaer is is open to that. And, of course, with a player like that, he's on uh, well in excess of 100 grand a week. He's a playmaker. So can you really realistically finance a move for, for another forward when you've got, what, seven forwards, I'd say? You've got the front three of Rashford, Greenwood, Cavani at the moment. Uh, I mean, this is taking Pogba out of it as well, I and mean, then you've got Cavani, Ahmad, Marshall, Daniel, James, Juan Mata. So that's eight forwards, excluding Fernandez. I, I mean, that that's another. It, it's an easy way to look at it if matter does stay and say, well, the Glazers are penny-pinching and the nuances of whether he stays or goes may never be truly known. Maybe United are just publicly saying this just to save face. Maybe, um, you know, it, it is their decision. Maybe Matter wants to stay and United are the ones being resistant because the option of an additional year does rest with them. And it could be Solskjaer just putting his own spin on it. But I also do think Solskjaer is pretty sincere with these things and probably wouldn't mind having Matter around for another year because of his experience and that kind of mental role that he's taken on the last couple of years, even though he's not played very much football at all. Sadly for him this season, his his campaign has was, was compromised by his mother's illness and then uh, tragically she passed away. So maybe the, the second year of Juan Matter is next year is the way United are looking at it because certainly the last five or six months of this season for him has been has been a write-off for those very sad personal matters.
1: Do you think that the, that the Glazers need to can they satisfy the, the fans with a couple of marquee signings this summer? It, or it probably goes way beyond that now, doesn't it? It's it's not it's not one of those situations I think um, Graham Sooness or somebody somebody of that ilk suggested that they needed to, you know, that they spent plenty of money and the fans should be should be happy because they've spent plenty of money since Ferguson retired but it, it, it's not really about that isn't it and it's not it's not like you know if they spend 150 200 million on a couple of big marquee players this summer that that will make the Glazer out campaign uh, dissipate it's it's a bit more nuanced nuanced than that isn't it samuel
0: it is there would be a portion of the fan base that would be absolutely beside themselves if united signed Varane and sancho in a single summer which is actually possible both of those players are pretty much attainable both of them i mean a conservative estimate would cost 140 million you'd say sancho's 80 million Varan's 60 million and united have spent more than that in, in previous transfer windows in 2019 they spent I think they committed up to £148 million pounds in fees if you were to include the add-ons but up front I think it was £140 million and one of those players was Daniel James so get, get, getting Varane and Sancho that that is a possibility and that you, you it would be impossible not to get excited by that if you're a United fan if you're someone covering United because they are two players who you know, certainly in Vran's case, he's been one of the best centre-backs over the last decade and is still pretty young for a centre-back. Jaden Sancho is a player who is is nearing that world-class ceiling. You think if he makes that next move, then he could attain that status. But there are the hardcore contingent who just want the Glazers out of the club. And you fully understand that, the amount of money they've siphoned off the club over the last 16 years, the contempt they've shown from them, the... Just the stadium, the way that's been allowed to decay. I think the last the last announcement that United gave that there was going to be a stadium expansion was in March 2004, which was 14 months before the Glazers completed their takeover. The money or lack of money they've put into Old Trafford during their ownership has been a disgrace. And they should want removing just for that alone. Anyone who's been to that stadium knows that certainly if you went to that stadium in the late 90s or the mid 90s, uh, and you've been to it more recently, you will visibly see how it has gone from being best in class to one of worst in class, really, particularly in comparison with other clubs. And I think for, you know, Joel Glazer has gone on record as saying that they need to invest in the training ground and the stadium, which is stating the bleeding obvious, but actions do speak more do speak louder than words and unfortunately with the Glazer family they've not said an awful lot and they've not done an awful lot during their ownership either and I think just looking at the state of Old Trafford looking at the roof leaking last week and it's been leaking for at least four years probably longer than that Um, you look at the training ground as well and how easily they could improve that and how they've allowed other clubs to take take over them. In terms of their infrastructure and their facilities. If you want to get Old Trafford back to being one of the best stadiums in the world and you want the training ground to be one of the best training centres on the planet for football club, I think you're looking at about 500 million pounds. I know that sounds like a ex- hell of a lot of money, which it is, just to invest on, on that side of, of the club, but I think that that's how much it will take. Old Trafford needs a new roof, the acoustics are not great, the south stand needs pretty much doing to it what happened to the main stand at Anfield a few years ago which is pretty much be, it was pretty much knocked down and rebuilt from from scratch that's certainly what it feels like when you go there now um so that's a hell of a that's a hell of an overhaul that um in itself particularly with the trouble you have or certainly the issue you have with the train line behind it whether it's logistically possible United have always hidden behind that excuse but An alternative is you you just move Old Trafford a little bit away from it, which would be a pretty drastic move. But you look at the plot of land United have got and how easily they could buy up other portions of the land around that area. There are no excuses. And the training centre, I mean, Leicester's training facilities, they've got This is Leicester we're talking about a team that have only just won the FA Cup for the first time in their history. And they have better training facilities than Manchester United. When things like that are happening, you know that United have got big problems. And that's all on the Glazer family. And stuff like that is just unforgivable from a lot of supporters' perspectives. And I completely understand that. And you know, they'll they'll continue to protest. It's just as well for United that the season's coming to an end so that uh, those those openings for disruption aren't going to be there anytime soon as far as match days are concerned. But there's an awful lot of work to be done. And that's, I've, I've said all that without pretty much touching upon the squad. And I think, I suppose it's, it's kind of a happy coincidence for the Glazers that, you know, United have said in recent years that their preferences for three three signings each summer, all of them game changers. Well, okay, you need a centre back, you need a midfielder and you need a forward. There are your three signings and your three game changers.
1: Yeah, well it remains to be seen whether they get all three and whether um that stadium does get the sort of TLC that it, it so badly needs. I guess onto maybe more on maybe what on-field matters, Samuel. And we had the rather strange event on Sunday of a uh, oligon Solskjaer press conference, which we don't get very often on Sundays, certainly if, if it's not a match day. Uh, it was the first in his big UEFA build-up to the uh, Europa League final, which began 10 days before the game for some reason that maybe you can explain, Samuel. But he did give a little bit of uh, a hint about the dilemmas that he has when picking that team. I suppose these... Next two Premier League games against Fulham and Wolves will be an audition for some players to to earn that starting place. I know we've spoken fairly recently about Rashford against Greenwood as a as an option on the wing. Who who's ahead in that race? And De Gea against Henderson, probably the other big dilemma, other than uh, you know the Harry Maguire elephant in the room. I suppose obviously if he's fit, he will play. But who's ahead in those races in, in the goalkeeper and on I guess on the right wing is where uh, Rashford or Greenwood would play. I think what
0: Solskjaer said to me after the Villa game when I just broached the subject of that selection dilemma and he said that you can win a game coming off the bench in a final. And he wasn't harking back to ninety nine there. He was saying it just to put the dropped player, the cut player in the frame of mind, a positive frame of mind that even though they're gonna be they're gonna have this negative to face of starting a final on the bench, they are probably gonna come on in it and they've got a chance to win the game. For United and Solskjaer does speak from experience there it's not just the Champions League final but 2003 League Cup final he was he started on the bench against Liverpool I think the 2004 FA Cup final he probably wasn't fully fit enough to to make the 11 in that one and probably wouldn't have been surprised that he was a, a sub that day but the fact that you know those finals where he didn't make the starting level still burn his mind that that's that's unique coaching cachet that now informs his decisions when he breaks the news to players that they're not going to be starting a final. And there are probably one or two players that he's going to have to you know, deliver that very, very unhappy news to who will feel hard done by. And I think that'll be in goal and it'll be on the right wing. For me, Greenwood has to start. And Rashford has never been outright dropped by Solskjaer, I don't think. And I, I suspect he won't drop him for the final. I suspect he'll look at the fact that Rashford has started four finals, that he's got the experience of of that, of playing in a World Cup semi-final, scoring in a World Cup shootout. And he'll just think that that trumps Greenwood. And Greenwood can come on and be a game changer. But I think it's very difficult to justify Rashford starting on current form and not even current form. Maybe the, his form this this calendar year, he's he's been subdued at best, I would say. And there have been very, very few standout performances during that time. With the goalkeeping situation, I suspect De Gea will get the nod, not just because of how he performed in Rome, but Henderson's performance against Liverpool. It, it's If they hadn't have decided De Gea by then, then certainly that's going to count against Henderson because it was a really poor performance, a very unconvincing performance. And he'll know that as well. He, he is... As, as cocky as he is Henderson, he's also pretty self-critical. And when he plays well, he'll reflect on what he hasn't done well in that game as well. So I, I think I think De Gea and Rashford will probably get the nod in the final. Personally, I would give it to De Gea, but I'd give it to Greenwood on the right-hand side uh, against Bia Real. And in defence, I, I still think that it would be very, very presumptuous of Solskjaer just to settle with by if Maguire doesn't make it. I think we all kind of, I think the feeling we all have is that Maguire will, by hook or by crook, make it, that the swelling on his ankle or his ankle ligaments will um, recover quickly enough that he starts that final. It's amazing how often it happens when finals come around, when it's a huge game like that, that players are always just about fit enough to make it. It happens with major tournaments as well, as we've seen a number of times. But if Maguire is, is, is just ruled out for it and, can't just can't get over the line and can't get on without crutches pretty much then I think it would be wrong of Solskjaer just to have Baye penciled in because bye was dreadful against Liverpool last week and we've seen that too often from him before and Tunzibi was pretty unlucky not to start against Liverpool thought he did pretty well against Leicester he was certainly the best of the back four he's a more composed defender but he has had some major setbacks this season when you think of Denver Bar in, in Istanbul the Sheffield United game um, when he came on against Everton with the United 3-2 up he gave away the free kick Everton equalised so he's had some real major knockbacks and that's without even you know, dwelling on the dreadful abuse he's received online
1: as well so I was it's just it's astonished much... by your memory of these things Sammy you, you were supposed <laughs> to recall them absolutely at will I was I, tr- I was I just try. thinking about the Twan Zabies uh, games this season then you plucked it before I could even get there <laughs> Uh, but I suppose on the flip side, he adds the most memorable, of course, being the um,
0: noitering of Kylian Mbappe in Paris, which was yeah. his career high and probably the best performance by a United defender all season, arguably as well, certainly at centre-back. So it's it's going to be goalkeeper, centre-back, right-hand side, I think are going to be the contentious calls. I, I, I still can't see him changing McTominay and Fred, even though they have not been playing well for quite a while now. They are his go-to pairing in big games and the alternatives are probably more problematic. Uh, Matic hasn't played an awful lot of football and all had a major influence on United this season. Van der Beek just doesn't come into your thinking there if if you're talking about the two midfielders playing deep. I suspect the only way you could crowbar Rashford and Greenwood into the same side would be if you were to drop Pogba back into midfield but that would seem a little bit drastic for a final when he has been playing so well in the last couple of months off the left.
1: Yeah, that's probably the tactic if and when United go 1-0 down in the game, as they often seem to do under Solskjaer, at least this season. Um, I guess chances then against Fulham for this game on Tuesday night, Samuel. Who would you like to see given a go? I know that United may go fairly strong because they've got that Wolves game uh, on Sunday, which seems like the more obvious game to rotate and rest people before yeah. the final. Um, Z B maybe to get, a, to get a chance to audition for that centre-back place?
0: I would certainly play Z B in... In this game and possibly Sunday as well depending on how he plays against Fulham it's it's a bit of a free hit really but there is an element of jeopardy in that if you do perform badly against Fulham then your card's marked and it's probably case closed in terms of looking at the final next week i, I think pretty much eight or nine places are box off for for the Europa League final Solskjaer won't say that of course he doesn't he doesn't want to um uh leave any players downtrodden. i mean i, I interviewed a United player earlier today who is absolutely almost cert- well it's not almost certain he's absolutely certain of starts in the final but even he's kind of Cautious about addressing it or speaking about it, but he's definitely going to be playing in the final because nobody wants to rest on their laurels. Nobody wants to get complacent at all ahead of what's a big game that you've got 22, 23 players who want to be starting in, but the reality is that 12 of them aren't going to be able to start in it. So I'd certainly like to see Tuenzebe play against um, Fulham. I think it makes more sense to start Wambisaka, Shaw, Lindelof. Um, in that game, I wouldn't play McTominay and Fred. I mean, it's it's Fulham, it's relegation fodder. I, I think you've got to be a bit more adventurous. So yeah, give give Van der Beek a run out probably in midfield. But as far as the front four are concerned, I'd probably play the front four that should start next week, which is Pogba, Fernandez, Cavani, Greenwood. And then you've got them rested up for the weekend game at Wolves because it, it is that fine line. You don't want to leave players undercooked for a final. There's no way players who start next week. The only one who won't have played potentially um, in the run-up to it will have been Maguire because of his injury. But I don't think players like Wan-Bissaka, Shaw, Pogba, Fernandes, Cavani, etc. There's no way they're not going to have any involvement in these games this week. But tonight, get second boxed off, win the game, and then go to Wolves. Maybe play James and Marshall and players who, um, and some of the youngsters and the more fringe players. And then you can oversee that unbeaten away run that's start, what, stretched back to January of last year. But this is a chance to go the whole season unbeaten there. And that'll probably be on South mind as well. So I don't think he'll play a massively weakened side against, against Wolves this weekend. I think that'll be a pretty strong one, but probably with a few youngsters in the squad.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's the way that he will go for it. I, I'm going to go slightly different with my uh, predictions request. Uh, Samuel, I'm going to ask you the last two games of the season, how many points will United get from Fulham and Wolves? It should be six. Do you predict six?
0: Yes, yes. I think. I mean, I watched Wolves at Tottenham and they are dreadful compared to what they used to be when they were probably of the teams United really did never want to play against. And now they're actually probably the most ideal side to come up against in terms of overseeing that away record, and ensuring that it goes from the start of the season to, to the end of the season. Wolves have got nothing to play for, and it looks like Nuno's come to the end of the line there after doing a, a pretty good job, to say the least. So it, even with all the changes that United are probably going to make on Sunday, because it's only three days before final, I, I still think that the strength of the team that Solskjaer puts out should be enough to win it. But if they get a draw, it's not the end of the world because they'll have you know, they'll have clinched that unbeaten away league run.
1: Yeah, I think my prediction would be four points purely from experience of going to Molyneux and United don't tend to to win there very easily, um, as we've seen before. But at least fans will be back as well uh this week, which is another positive thing. We'll we'll see that at both Old Trafford and Molyneux. Um and in Gdansk as well. Obviously we'll have a, a whole podcast dedicated to that Villarreal game um, and the build-up to it, which will continue. Um, but for now, thank you very much, Samuel, for uh, appearing alongside me this week. Thank you, don Appreciate it. And we'll be back again for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a like and a subscribe. And as I say, we'll be back again soon.